don't know if anybody else just saw that. What <laughs> just happened? Wow, that scare almost fell. My my podium just went down like eight inches. Sorry. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. Hey, everybody. Did y'all just get here? Wow. Um, my name is Michael, if you weren't here earlier when I was up here. Um, and we're very excited to have you with us. We are in the middle of summer at the movies, towards the end of it, actually. We have just a few movies left. We've been doing sports movies all summer long. Last week you missed uh, an expose on the Red Sox with Fever Pitch, uh, which was excellent. I got to wear my Red Sox jersey while I preached. It was a wonderful day in the kingdom of God. Um, Unless you're not a Red Sox fan. Uh, And like on those Yankee, whatever. Uh, So uh, today is Glory Road. Has anybody ever seen Glory Road? Yeah, great movie. Anybody know Coach Haskins? Yeah, the Tawawas do. Yeah, the Tawawas, uh, one of our families here that sits up front all the time, used to go to church with uh, the old Coach Haskins out in El Paso. And, and let me tell you, I, I, I talked with their dad, because I don't trust the kids. I talked with their dad about him, and he said, yeah, the movie's true. I mean, uh, not just like the circumstances, because history tells that, but who he was and who he is, the kind of guy that he was, that's who he is. It's an amazing story about a basketball coach who changes the world, really. Sure, it's just basketball. Sure, it's just college basketball. But what he does is so significant. And the time period in which he does it, it really sends shockwaves, at least through our country. Basically, what he did is this. He was a high school girls basketball coach in Texas. Good coach, but he's girls basketball coach. You know, whatever. You know what guys think of girls sports. I'm sorry, girls, that's just how we deal with it, especially when we know that there are women out there that could beat us. But he gets a chance to coach a Division I basketball team. For a coach, this is like the holy grail. I get to go up to the show. I get to go coach a Division I college basketball team. This is incredible. He's sent out. He moves his whole family all the way out to El Paso, Texas, the garden city of El Paso, Texas, and, and takes over this program it really isn't very good. It's, it's now known as the University of Texas El Paso, UTEP, but then it was Texas Western. He takes over this program, and he does something extraordinary. He goes after people that no one else wants. He tries to build a team around people that nobody else wants. This clip we're going to see in just a second is one of the snippets of how he does it, and one of the, one of the sections of, of, that shows really the kind of guy he was. He was a servant at his heart. Let's watch this clip. Nah. I got plenty of offers. Who? Do? Can? Made up my mind to play for the Globetrotters. Yeah, trust that. You're better off with the Trotters playing against a team of patches every night. I don't think you get past an average defender in our league with that fancy dribble of yours. Man, no offense, but that's bull. Hey, brother, no offense, but without work, I don't think you get past a beat up old timer like me. Get past you? <laughs> I will go past you, through you, over you, under you, around you. As a matter of fact, I'll spin you like a top, twist you in a pretzel, eat your lunch, steal your girl, and kick your dog at the same time. It has to. Come on, 
Oh, you following me, man? Hey, you call that a foul? My three-year-old calls that love cat. Hey, hold it, hold it. You expect me to react to all that head shake and body gyration? It's activity without accomplishment. You got the ball in front of you, you ain't going anywhere without it. Try this. It's called a rocker step. You ready? Get in your stance. Okay. See, the difference between me and you is when I step, I got the ball protected. And it looks like I'm starting to dribble, so you gotta react. And when you do, cross over, dribble right by here. Try. It's simple, but it'll make that pretty little shot of yours work. If only I'd have a coach like Coach Haskins when I was in high school, I wouldn't be here today because I had those skills. The people sitting on the bench, I meant, back there. What does he do? He does something very simple, yet so profound and effective. The kid's name is Artis. Artis has mad skills, but he's undisciplined. The coach beats him and then teaches him. He goes to him face to face. He goes to his gym and he meets him where he is and says, look, you're great. You're a great player. Sure. But you could be even better. And let me show you how. He meets him where he is. He goes down to his level. He goes to his hometown. He goes to his gym and he says, look, I care about you. And let me help you, help you be better. Paul says something similar to the people of Corinth in his first letter to them. Chapter 9. This is probably a passage you've heard before. I love this passage and I've read it many times for my own personal self. Because it really means something profound to me in my life and in my walk with Christ. Verse 19. says, this means I'm not bound to obey people just because they pay me. Yet... I have become a servant of everyone so that I can bring them to Christ. When I am with the Jews, I become one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. When I am with one of those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same, even though I'm not subject to the law, so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. And this way I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. But I do, do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22. When I, with, when I am with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do all of this to spread the good news. And in so doing, I enjoy its blessings. What's the one thing that stands out to you in all of that that I just read? so that I might bring them to Christ. He says it almost every verse. I do this so that I might bring them to Christ. I do this so that I might bring them to Christ. I act this way so that I might bring them to Christ. I act this way so that I might bring them to Christ. I am all things to all people so that I might bring them to Christ. That's the thing. After everything I say, say so that I might bring them to Christ, basically is what he's doing. I'm a Jew to the Jews so I can bring them to Christ. Now, Paul was the Jew among Jews. Like, artists had mad basketball skills. Paul, mad Jewish skills. 
He went to like the Harvard rabbi of the time. He studied studied under Gamliel, this guy who was an incredible rabbi. And Paul knew the text. Paul knew the Jewish traditions. He knew the law. He was revered among the Pharisees. But he knew Christ. And so there were times when he would go into a setting where it called for him to be the Pharisee and the Jew and to spout off the the laws of Abraham and Moses, our fathers Isaac, and go through those things. But he did all those things so he could bring people to Christ. There are other times he goes into a a company with uh, Gentiles and he goes into these people's homes and things. And he's not going to start spouting off this Jewish stuff because they'll have no idea what he's talking about. They don't have any background in it. They don't have any knowledge of it. So what does he do? He says, I try to fit in with them as best I can so that I might bring them to Christ. Do you see what he was doing here? He would meet people where they were. If you have a high intellect and you can carry on theological conversations with me, great. We will talk at this level and I will bring you to Christ. If you've never been to school, if you've never studied under a rabbi, if you've never had any Jewish background whatsoever, fine. I'll talk to you on that level so that I can bring you to Christ. The reason why this passage is so important to me and so special to me is because it screams into my life and how I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen those guys on the corner that shout, The end is near! Turn or burn! Do you know what's going to happen to you if you die tonight? Like, I guess I'm dead. Oh. Do you know what's going to happen? No, you don't know. I'm not. That stuff doesn't get me. People like that, those hardcore Christians, God love them and there's a place for them. It doesn't work with me. Some people are affected by that. Not me. I look at those people and I'm just like, (laughs) yeah. Keep on walking. People that speak on such a high theological level and, and use these great words and eschatology and, you know, all these other words I would forgot from seminary and different stuff. Yeah, that doesn't reach me either. You know, you can speak on this high level and throw all these words and impress me with your knowledge and show me that, you know, you know all these things. And I know the Hebrew form of this and I know the Greek form of this. Yeah, so do you know Jesus? You know, For me, what it took for me to really get into my faith and to really find passion in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was someone who was like me. Somebody who is smarter than me and knows all those words. Yeah, sure, he does that. But at the same time, he was like me and he shares my bad sense of humor and he shares a lot of the same things that I share and and we have a lot in common. And he came down to my level and showed me that following Christ wasn't about some of the things that I had learned growing up. It took somebody coming into my gym, coming into my neighborhood, and sharing with me the love of Christ the way I needed for it to be shared. See, that's the problem with the church sometimes is we fall into this trap of sharing Christ one way. This is the way to Christ. This is the way we share Christ. This is the way we evangelize, and that's it. We fall into this trap sometimes of not having the courage to go into the ghettos like Coach Haskin did, to go to Chicago, to go to New York, to go to Houston and find those kids that no one else wanted. A lot of times we fall into this trap right here, our building. You know, we're going to put on this great service. 
In fact, we're going to give you five opportunities on a Sunday morning to come and worship Jesus Christ. 8.30 in the morning, you can come, you can go down the hall into the sanctuary and find a service that's unlike any other we offer on this campus. Then at 9.30, you have two options. You can go down the hall and hear Mark or David or Donna preach a sermon and hear the liturgy and hear these one, their incredible organ and choir play and, and hear a service that way. Or you can come over here and hear a service where this guy's going to get up in shorts and he's going to tell a couple of jokes and tell you something to have great music and stuff. You can hear it there too. 11 o'clock, same thing, either place. Five opportunities for you to come and hear about Jesus Christ. And we prepare Boy, I get my sermons ready, and I have a sermon fired up, and I'm ready to deliver it. The worship team on Wednesday nights get together, they practice, they rehearse, they're fired up to come up here on Sunday morning and start playing and singing and get the harmony right and all that stuff. But you know what? If nobody comes, they're not going to hear it. If nobody comes here, who cares what we're doing? Paul says, how are they going to know unless they hear, and how are they going to hear unless you preach? And how are they going to hear unless we preach to them? See, we have an intimidating campus. I don't know if you know this or not. This is a pretty hard campus to come on to. Let me tell you why. One, we're a beautiful building, a tremendously large building that has no front door. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? We don't have a front door. We do. It's out on Bassey Road. That's our front door. But who goes through that? Raise your hand if you've ever walked through that door except on a wedding. Exactly. One person. When you come onto this campus, it's sometimes hard to find where you're going. If you are somebody who wants to come to this service and you look like me and you come onto this campus and you're parked on the Paisano side and you get out and you see people in suits and dresses, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I need to get back in my car. I am so underdressed. It's intimidating to come onto our campus. Obviously, you people found your way here. God bless you. I bet somebody invited you. I bet you knew someone who knew about this service and they brought you onto this campus. And even then, I bet some of you were intimidated to walk here, to come here. Because I came to my passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ later in my life, I tend to see things from an outsider's perspective. I tend to see things from the person who's never been to church or the person who got burned by church and is on the outside looking in and says, last week we talked about that hole inside all of us. We're searching for something great and deep in our life. And they're going, I, I, you know, I think it's with God. I think it's with Jesus Christ. But, but, man, that's a hard place to come into. I've never been to church. What are they going to say? Are people going to stare at me? It's a huge place. A lot of times we forget that it is our job and duty through Jesus Christ to leave the grounds of this campus and to bring the gospel message with us. That's what Coach Haskins did. He went to the place where the kids were and he said, look, no one else wants you. Remember what he says at the beginning of that clip? He's like, so who's recruiting you, Kansas, Duke? No. Why? Because you're black. Kid says, well, I'm just going to play for the Globetrotters, (laughs) which got to be a cool job. But he says, no, you can play for me. He goes to where Artis was, and he says, you're worth something. You're worth something. He went to where all those kids were, and he said, you're worth something. And what does he do? Do you remember the story at the end of the movie? In the championship game of the NCAA tournament, he starts five black kids. First time ever that an, that an all-black squad started the game. And then he plays all black kids the whole game. Doesn't sub in anybody. 
unless they're black. Why? Because he wants to make a point that these kids are worth something. And they end up winning the championship. But the thing was, he was willing enough to get out of his shell, shell of what the institution, NCAA, had told him was what you're supposed to do. And he went to go meet people where they were. How long are we going to wait for people to come here? Man, I have a great truth. I have something that's going to save your life. If you just come here on Sunday morning, 930 or 11. world will be changed forever. Jesus Christ told me to change the world, Matthew 28. Sunday mornings is when I do it. Right here in this room. How often do we fall into that trap? Paul's going, oh, yeah, I'm this way when I'm at New Heights. And I speak a certain way when I'm at New Heights. And I try to to reach the people that come to New Heights because they're the ones, obviously, that are wanting to come and fit and this kind of thing. And God meets them here. But there's other people that need to hear Jesus, and they're not going to fit here. They're not going to be comfortable here. There's people that aren't comfortable in the sanctuary. And we need to go find them. And we need to go be Jewish for them or Gentile for them. We need to be all things to all people so that, as Paul says, we might bring them to Christ. We kind of explore things around here all the time, different options of ministry. And over the past few years, we've focused on leaving the walls of the church, serving people through missions. And we've done great, excellent work. We've gone down to Mexico and worked with an orphanage a few times. You just heard about the youth trips up to Memphis, and they've done different things throughout the summer. We've done a lot of work helping people and assisting and being the hands and feet of Jesus for people that are destitute in this world. But you know what? They're not the only ones that need Jesus Christ. There are people out there that don't need food, that don't need clothes, that live right next to you, that have a job just as good as you, that have a house just as nice as yours, and they need Jesus. But maybe they're a little scared and nervous to come here too. We must be all things to all people so that they might know the love of God. So my challenge to you is get out. Leave. Don't ever come back. Go out into the world. Be all things to all people so that they might know the love of Christ. And then bring them all back. Don't fall into the trap thinking that the church is the church any longer. Because it's all of us. It's each and every one of us. If this church fell down tomorrow, if a bomb came and hit it and knocked it down, Chris Sabato would have a lot of cleaning up to do, but the rest of us would move on because this church means nothing in the great scheme of things. Because the body of Christ dwells inside each one of us. And we are the ones who will change the world. Not this building. All things to all people. And maybe we'll make the the coach happy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you've given us. For being to us all things. You meet each of us where we need to be met. You meet each of us in the place that is most comfortable with us. For some of us, it's a sanctuary service in a place that is formal and has liturgy. For others, it's a place that's a little more relaxed and casual. 
And still for others, Father, it's a place not even inside a church service. It's somewhere else. Lord, I pray that you would give us the knowledge and the courage to leave the walls of the church and continue to carry the flag and banner of Jesus Christ high, that we might be all things to all people in so doing. Teach them about the love and peace and patience and kindness and salvation of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Very few times in my uh, ministry career do I get to do a trifecta. This is one of those times. Hilarios, come forward. Uh, This is uh, such a a cool experience for me. I don't know if you remember um, this young man right here. Not this young man, but this young man right here. Um, I got to baptize him about a year and a half, two years ago. After he came back from Iraq and um, made kind of a kind of a deal with God, if I come back, God, my life is yours. And uh, he came back, and I got to baptize him. And then a little bit later, I got to marry this couple, and you see the fruit of their labor. <laughs> hey, Roberto. <laughs> and now I get to baptize. It's the trifecta of ministry, which is incredible. So uh, I'm very excited about this one. This is cool. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. I present to you Aaron Roberto Hilario for baptism. I turn to you and ask you on behalf of the whole church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? And will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, to profess his faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? I turn to those of you standing with him today and ask you this. Do you as his supporters and the family supporters reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? And will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and this family um, and keep them in your care? (laughs) He's going to be a pastor. Um, And I turn to you, the body of Christ, because this isn't something that happens in just one family. It is something that happens in the family of God. I ask you this. Do all of you as Christ's body of the church reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? If so, please state, we do. And will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these people now before you in your care? If so, please state, we will. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent nurtured in the water of a womb, Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless the gift of water and those who receive it to wash away his sin and clothe him in righteousness throughout his life, that dying and being raised with Christ, he may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen.